You're listening to Cosmic Tonic. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, let me say that again. <clears throat> Cosmic Tonic. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the Cosmic Tonic podcast. We are so pleased to announce Tara is the winner of November's 60-minute reading giveaway with the three of us. There was only one Tara who entered. We'll leave last names out of the announcements to protect privacy. Tara, please check your email for scheduling. If you've already signed up, you will be automatically added to each raffle until the end of December. And if you'd like to sign up, please go to the top menu bar of our homepage at www.cosmictonic.com. We'll reach out to you end of December to let you know if you won. As mentioned in our previous podcast, Cosmic Tonic is collaborating with Constellation Coffee Company on an astrological tea line. Libra and Scorpio tea are ready for purchase at www.constellationcoffeeco.com forward slash Cosmic Tonic. Each tea is customized to bring out certain archetypal themes with each sign and its ruling planet. I designed this line for those of you who are interested in doing remediation work with your natal chart or to drink while doing ritual work or just to simply enjoy the taste. For example, Scorpio tea is an aromatic chai hand blended with roasted organic cacao, which acts as a natural aphrodisiac boosting serotonin levels. I mean, who doesn't want a serotonin boost and to feel more sexy? In this episode, we speak with Holly Trular about the archetype and asteroid goddess of Hecate and her association with grief work. If you like what we do, please leave us a five-star rating, write a review, or share the podcast with your friends. We appreciate it. And there's a couple different ways you can listen to us. One way is on your favorite podcast app or by subscribing to us on YouTube. As you know, we are committed to bringing you the best content related to astrology and the occult. We are fully funded by viewer support, so please donate to our podcast by visiting the link at the bottom of our homepage. Again, our website is www.cosmictonic.com. For those of you who've donated, thank you so much. It really helps us keep this podcast going. And thanks again for being here. And we hope you enjoy the show. We're going to explore the archetype and also astrologically the asteroid of Hecate, who I'm just going to say right now, I have called Hecate my whole life or Hecate. Um, I am all in favor of not shaming people's pronunciation. So whatever name is uttered, let us be okay with it. (laughs) Whatever name you've been cozy with. And this goes for people listening to, um, So Hecate is the goddess of witchcraft. She's the goddess of of boundaries, of liminal spaces, of thresholds, of crossroads. Um, In myth, she is, she, one of of the myths, there's not actually a lot of mythology around her, but one of the myths involves Hecate um, helping Demeter find Persephone in the underworld and or helping Persephone retrace her path back to earth. and joining us today is Holly Trular, who I'm so excited to have because we've been working together, Holly, for a while now. I feel like a couple of years. So I've gotten to know you um, 
privately. And I know that Kestrel, you and Holly are getting to know each other now as well. Um, So Holly, you are a grief therapist. I know you do so much work facilitating groups and working working with grief. Um, You and just organizing in community. You have a doctorate in law, if I'm not mistaken, and also a a degree in, um, let me check my notes, in transpersonal counseling psychology. But on your website, you also say that that those sort of uh, professional thresholds, let's say, are not as meaningful or as soulful as the work that you've done, it sounds like, in the field, working with grief, but also working with animals and being a guardian of animal companions. So one reason why I was inspired to ask you to come on to this episode to talk about Hecate is partly because I know you have a personal relationship with Hecate. Uh, Hecate, the the asteroid, is right on your ascendant. (laughs) But also there is this this link I find quite stunning between Hecate and grief work. And that's embodied by both you and Kestrel in really stunning ways. So um, with all of that said, maybe you could introduce yourself in your own words beyond what I've said or expanding upon what I've said. Sure. Thanks for that, Eliza. And I just want to say I'm so grateful to be here. I have listened to y'all's podcast and followed y'all in different ways. And it just feels so sweet to be invited into your space. Like, I, I think that's really special and sacred. So thanks for that. Um, and thanks for the introduction. So I, yeah, I'm a grief therapist. And I always kind of like lead with that. Like my dad at one point, this was like a year ago, was like, so what do I tell people you do? Grief therapist? And I was like, yeah, yeah that's fine. Um, So that's kind of the most concrete thing I do. Uh, And then I also work with people in collapse and do a lot of work around what I would call collapse psychology. So looking at the systems that are falling apart, but also looking at people's own personal collapses from a somatic lens, a soul lens. Uh, So I do a lot around that in groups and individually with people. And then I would say a couple other important parts are I'm a donkey and mule enthusiast. I always like try to lead with that or at least put that in the middle. Um, I spend a lot of time with equines and yeah, animals in general, just really trying to be in reciprocal relationship and work with them from non-dominating ways of being. So that's a big one. And I'm also a sibling loss survivor. So I have two siblings who've died, Ivy and Brett. Uh, and that's also informed a ton of my work, still informs a bunch of my work. Uh, so those all feel like the biggest things. Yeah. And I've just like in the last, I would say year and a half gotten more into astrology. So I'm still sort of a neophyte as far as astrology goes, but I try, like I'm still, I'm learning how to relate to the planets and all the transitions and all of that. So it's me. Thank you so much. And maybe now it'd also be a good moment for you to share more about your relationship with Hakate. Um, and I know it's very personal. Um, so share as much as you like, or as you, as you don't like, but, um, what, what does she mean for you or what does she offer you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, first I want to say when you emailed me and were like, Hey, would you want to talk about like Hecate and grief? I was like, yeah, like, I feel like that, that's exactly what I'd like to talk about every day. Um, but what I can say is I would, I think in 2016, so like five years ago or so, um, I started doing 
deeper grief work, both personally and professionally. I had decided like, this is the route I want to go. And part of it, I think this is true for a lot of people who do grief tending, was just out of necessity. Um, I was going through a lot of loss and transition. And I really realized like, if I don't learn better ways to relate to my grief and the grief of the world, uh, I'm not going to survive. So I started doing that. And then within that work, I was trying to connect with a more than being or a competent protector that I could work with. And Hecate really came to me. Like at this point, I wasn't familiar with her mythology or even who she was. I was more familiar with Demeter and Persephone, um, which I relate to some, but not super closely. And I, this sounds so strange, but I was like standing in the pasture with a horse friend and mule friend of mine. And um, I just felt this presence sort of like in my pelvic bowl. And I had heard about Hecate some, and I just like it, I was like, this is Hecate. Like, and then I started doing all this research and really looking into the mythology and just trying to connect with her. Uh, and since then have really, I would say on a daily basis, I relate to her and give offerings. There's a cemetery by my house, like almost every day. She likes hanging out in cemeteries amongst other places. Um, and so for me, I, I have this feeling or I relate to Hecate really as like a sibling or a sister. Uh, and I feel like this, this really goes with her mythology. So when I think about, as you said, Eliza, the most popular story around Hecate is this story of her helping Demeter find Persephone in the underworld. And then following that, actually helps Persephone not only come out, but when Persephone goes back every year, she'll walk Persephone back in and out and does this a bunch. Um, and I think about that as far as her being like a friend or an older sister to both Demeter and Persephone. Um, and as you all know, like she often is thought of as this like three-way goddess, goddess of the crossroads. Um, so the way I experience that is a little bit less of like, as in like maiden mother crone, I experience it more as like, she can walk with us and age with us much as a sister would, right? Like typically your sister will age out with you. Uh, and so I experience her really as this companion and protector and a pretty like fierce guide. I guess I can say one of the other things I really like about her is I feel like she's like non-binary in the way that she approaches like quote good and bad like she's not really a good goddess or a bad goddess like she'll uh mess with you if she wants to uh but also she'll protect you if she feels like that's needed wanted if if you're in her favor and i appreciate that like i think that's how people are right like we all have these um parts of us that are pretty fierce or even mean at times. And we all have these parts of us that are like really protective and tender. Uh, and, and most of all, I would say, I always tell people who work with grief that finding some more than beings, gods, goddesses, planets to help them do that tending. Um, it's such a vulnerable place to be. And I think Hecate is so perfect for that. Like, I think that 
that's a huge part of her job. And she's really willing to help people in those tender liminal spaces. So I hope I answered your question, but happy for other questions. Yeah, that was so beautiful. And I love how you incorporate this non-binary nature of her because I've been really sitting with, she to me appears so paradoxical. You know, she's such a giver and a taker and a destroyer. She's a creatress and a destroyer. And it's just, as I've been kind of leaning into her more, like she's coming more into my sphere. I relate with a lot of what you're saying and understanding these liminal spaces and navigating between the conscious and the unconscious. It seems like she goes between those borders, right? As she stewards Persephone back into the underworld, but it's hard to pin her down as well. And I love that about her. She's such a shapeshifter. You don't know what you're going to get. So just the way you described it seemed like it was really pulling that out. And I don't know if this is the right time to go in this way, but a little around your story, you were talking about the siblings. It makes me wonder with Hecate being a sibling to both your Persephone and the Demeter parts of our identities, is there anything in early childhood that pulled through prior to standing with your equine beings um, that started to percolate as a small child? I don't know. I haven't thought about it a lot. I can say that um, I've always sort of had a melancholic personality. Um, and certainly as I, I would say less in childhood that I can remember, but my brother died when I was 10. And so that's a pretty, um, intense experience for that age and really like this preteen age. Right. And I can say that that was my first real rough initiation, right. Um, in which I think. Hecate was certainly present. I don't know that I would have named it as that or even known, but I'm sure that's part of how I survived that um, experience. But it makes me wonder if like Kestrel, I know that you're pretty connected to Hecate. If you've had any experiences like in childhood that you could be like, ah, yeah, that was really Hecate. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Whenever we prepare for these podcasts, we all tend to like invoke these goddesses in a way that comes into my consciousness. Like she's really been traveling with me the last week and a half since, since we spoke. And um, yes, I became, I realized how present she was in childhood again, like yourself, I wouldn't have called it Hecate, but I was listening to Glitch Bottle recently and this um, gentleman, somebody else may have to pack out who he is a little bit more for me, but his name is Jack Grail. And he was talking about, you know, as he's created devotion and a grimoire to Hecate himself, he didn't have those experiences as a small child with contact with the other side. But I very much did. I lived in a home that was sort of in a way gifted to my family because the woman who owned the whole, the home, Mrs. Um, Kinghorn was her name. She wanted the house to go to a young family with children. And so my mom started to notice how I was constantly 
communicating with her in very symbolic ways, like especially around Samhain and Halloween, you know, as children, you're making skeletons and cards. And I would hang things in places where it was really important to her. And I could feel almost like Hecate in the realm. And I was a very etheric child. And then as life went on, that kind of got compressed and oppressed down where I think I lot, I think the access has always been there as me being kind of a guide between worlds, but it didn't become more alive until I started actually losing people. Um, and I lost my first love in 2009 and it just felt like a calling into the underworld and people started to refer to me as a psychopomp. I didn't even know what the word was. I didn't know what a mercurial kind of liminal, um, being that was, but I began to identify more and more where the calling as a psychotherapist, that that's really why I became a psychotherapist was through my own grief work. And I do a bit of it still, and I'm quite involved in different communities, but, um, you know, I've taken on other things in my practice as well. I have to balance it out. I can't spend all my time in the underworld. (laughs) I have to come up and out similar to Persephone and Persephone and, um, excuse me, um, Hecate are both in my first house near my ascendant, along with a coven of other (laughs) gals. (laughs) I, I, I hope that spoke to what you were asking and having that childhood. Well, experience. I'm, I'm curious to hear both because both of you are speaking to this in different ways, but I know you both have such profound relationships with animals and I'm wondering, you know, how you might put words to that, even if you haven't thought about it before, but Hecate often is associated with the black dog, but I think also with other, um, with other animals too. And especially animals, I think that are, I wanna say a little on the fringes. I've also seen Hecate connected with snakes, but I'm, I'm curious like how, if you associate your relationship with animals with your relationship with Hecate. Holly, let's start with you. Yeah, I, for sure. Um, for one, I think that there are certain animals that help us tend grief a bit more. There's certain animals that have even been identified as psychopomps, right? So a lot of different kinds of birds, owls, ravens, crows, bees. Um, But there's also animals for me that I've really seen being willing to tend to grief. And I would say equines, horses, donkeys, mules are one of those and also dogs. Um, And then I would say dolphins and elephants, but we'll put those aside for a moment. Um, But I can't separate my relationship with the other than uh, with these animals and sort of their hearts, their willingness to be with us, even though, in my opinion, as humans, we've actually mistreated most beings like human supremacy is a thing that I think we we all um, could work on. It's so embedded in um, colonized society. Uh, And so I, for me, I like can't separate. What, What I can say is that every time I'm with my equine friends, I can feel Hecate like walking with me. Um, 
And yeah, I also do associate her with owls and snakes quite a bit. Um, and like recently I've been having a lot of experiences with owls. As I said, I go to the cemetery every, almost every day. And, uh, there's four owls that live there. And recently I've been like sitting with them, like literally 10 feet from them at times. And it's, I don't know if anybody's spent a lot of time with owls, but they're intense. <laughs> like their stare is intense. Um, and I like, I feel that Hecate energy when I'm around them. Um, so I'm sure I could say more about it, but I'm curious, Kestrel, what your experience is. Yeah, I feel most myself through the extension of a dog. I had a, a childhood dog was, who was my best friend and I was always wandering in nature with that dog, but the current dog I have in particular, Lexi actually came to me during the transition, which I think is very much um, who Hecate is. She shows up, like we said, at those crossroads or forks in life. And it was, this is vulnerable to say, I think I've maybe referred a little bit to it in the podcast, but I'm, I was going through some fertility stuff and I'm very much in that transition space of letting go more and more of my maiden and going through perimenopause. And it's really a rite of passage accompanied with a lot of grief, but Lexi, she came into our life during that time. My husband actually invoked her. He was like, I'm ready for a dog. And like literally within two days, we were traveling North through Wyoming and there she was frozen like a statue in the middle of I-25 North of Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I was like, you must pull over. We pulled over and we ended up rescuing her from a situation she, where she was not being treated well. And there's this super long story about black dog rescue got involved, which is interesting that Hecate was symbol was showing up. And as I'm reflecting on it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. But she really tended to me during that time where I was realizing I wasn't going to have children. I was in tears all the time. And she was my companion by my side. And, you know, she travels with me in nature. She's always with me. She is my protector. I'm as she, I'm as much her guardian as she is mine. And I remember when we went to Norwalk together, I think in 2019, I, I didn't bring her and I feel really amiss without her. And I, I constantly think about what her transition will be to the other side. My husband has to pull me back about thinking towards the end of her life. Cause she's seven and we're starting to see the signs. Um, yeah, but she really truly is my familiar. And I feel like Hecate did this, like she's related to Anubis and some of the myths too. And um, you know, and I joke, I love all animals, but my relationship is very deeply connected with the dog. And then of course my name Kestrel, like you were saying, I very much see birds as psychopomps. Yeah. And I'd love to hear from Jazz too, because I know you've had this tremendous relationship with your animals too. Well, and Eliza does too. <laughs> She's freaking fosters cats. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? I I've had four very important dogs in my life 
and three of them have since passed. But each one of those dogs have come to me in kind of dire straits. Um, and I'm, I've always been a firm believer that if I'm supposed to have an animal, the animal is going to come to me. I never go seek out animals. And it seems to work in a very similar way <laughs> to you, Kestrel. They just end up at my doorstep or in my yard or what have you. But I just recently started working with Hecate and I discovered that Hecate is in a very prominent place in my charts. It's at the top of my chart on my MC. And I feel that it has, she has really showed up through animals in my life and that the animal relationships in my life have actually propelled me to be able to express myself um, in the highest regard that I can. I get a lot of inspiration from my animals and they inform me in so many ways. Um, and I do believe that my animals have helped me through a lot of grief and seen me through all the stages of my life. And um, it's, it's a relationship with each one of them that feels extremely karmic. Like I've had these animals before and I was just telling Kestrel in a voicemail that I really feel that when I do pass to the other side, that my animals are going to be there waiting for me. That's how strongly I feel about them. Um, to the point where sometimes I question, are these the most prominent relationships of my life compared to my relationships with people, um, which is really interesting about Hecate. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm really curious, Holly, you described yourself as a melancholic child and you were talking about the first time that you felt Hecate's presence. And I'm wondering what that felt like to you. I'm wondering what she feels like to you. Yeah. So the way I experience it is really this like powerful presence in my like pelvic bowl. It's something like while I'm facilitating, there are times like in groups where stuff's going down, right? And I can get flustered or I'm just like, I'm not sure what to do next. And if I slow down, I can like feel Hecate sort of in my body helping me like, um, and especially in these like liminal or transitional spaces, like even in a group, right? When there's like something happening, that's um, not straightforward. And so for me, uh, I guess one way I could describe it is this feeling of like, I've got your back or I've got this, right? It's this deeper rooted feeling. Um, so like, I guess I would encourage people who are exploring a relationship with Hecate to really um, notice somatically what happens when they um, are feeling her right or when they're invoking her whatever we want to call it because I think she's a pretty mighty presence and uh yeah I guess that's like another word I would use I just feel bolstered or mighty like I'm sort of like oh I can do this we got this 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 and and it's not even my decision like I'm like oh the group has this like I can trust Hecate's here I can fucking trust this 
Sorry, I cussed. I'm not sure if we can do that. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) I just want to, I want to also, it's, it's so interesting that your, your language around it is so somatic and that could be something that everyone can access. Absolutely. But also the fact that it's in your first house, which is the part of the chart that is the body, the physical body that makes sense on that level as well. So I'm not saying that if you don't have Hecate in your first house, you're not going to feel her in your pelvic bowl, but (laughs) that feels particularly apt. But I wonder, we've been talking about placements a lot so far, but maybe Jasmine, this would be a good (laughs) moment for you to talk a little more about the asteroid and how to how listeners can find it? Sure. If you don't have access to solar fire, you can go to astro.com and on the homepage, you choose your horoscope and then it prompts you to a page that says charts and data. And after that, you choose extended chart selection. And at the bottom of that page is a place for additional objects. On the right-hand side of the screen, there's a place for manual entry and you enter in the number 100 and then Hecate will populate into your chart. As far as technicalities, Hecate spends about five and a half years transiting the Zodiac and about four and a half months per sign. And right now, Hecate is at 14 degrees of Aries retrograde. In terms of the discovery chart, she was discovered by J.C. Watson, which is a a Canadian astronomer in 1868. And when he discovered her, she was at 15 degrees of Aquarius, Um, which Brings me to a point, we were just on a podcast with a good friend of ours, Steph Warner, and we were talking about the Neptune-Jupiter conjunction next year, but during Hecate's discovery, Neptune and Jupiter were together in the sky, which is really fascinating. So I'm really excited about what's going to happen next year as far as potential discoveries and just new phenomena. (laughs) Well, and I know I want to. I want to also like just acknowledge for the audience that there. So there are thousands and thousands and thousands of asteroids, and I don't understand the logic behind um, why we just happen to have the most on-point asteroids in key parts of the chart. But you can. Sometimes this happens where if you look up a name of like your, your lover or your life partner or a close friend. And then that asteroid, like that asteroid that's named, I don't know, let's say um, Erica, like it just happens to be right on your sun or right on your Venus. And it's quite spooky how that can happen. And so, you know, these asteroids, these thousands of asteroids are named you know, very diversely from just normal names, but also many of them are named after the wider Greco-Roman pantheon and um, no doubt other pantheons as well. So Hecate is one of these. It's one of the smaller asteroids. It's not one of the main four that we tend to count as um, being, let's say, a, a little more influential. And I would say they're only, those ones are only more influential because they're, they're quite large. They're like dwarf planets in size. So 
in some and whatever logic that somehow makes them more hefty. But I find it so striking that both you, Holly, and you, Kestrel, you do grief work actively and you both have this asteroid on your ascendant. It's like you are embodying that threshold dwelling being, that person who's lighting the torches for people in these really dark spaces. Um, so that's that's just some elucidation. That's not a question, but <laughs> but um, I, I, a question is still forming. But maybe I'll pause there and see if Kestrel, you have anything to add, or if you want to transmute that into a question. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> well, I've been sitting with her. I didn't sit with as much of the astrology or the technicalities, but recently I became aware of this book, The Hades Moon by Judy Hall. And I was just reading the little section on the archetype of Hecate this morning. And it was really interesting that it was posed that, um, you know, she may be the female face of Pluto as well. And they refer to her or Judy Hall refers to her in this book as the great integrator. And so that pulls in also kind of this first house placement in doing grief work is I do really feel like grief work does become an integration of sorts. You, you transmute into a third entity Um it's not that it just goes away and you cure it. It has to somehow live and metabolize inside of us. And so it also makes me think of, well, if she is, I know we talked about her being non-binary, but, you know, one face of Pluto and being masculine and then the feminine side, it makes me, um, yeah, now I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> Where am I going? I'm lost. <laughs> Do any of you hear where I'm going with well, that? <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll pick up the thread. I don't know if it's where you're going. <laughs> but there's something about evading binaries where you're not, you're evading definition, you're invading, you're evading containment. There's something about the making of binaries that is actually, I think, a domestication, an act of domestication or an act of refinement and active cultivation um in the same way that you know we have wild earth which may not actually it's fertile but it may not be helping feed a population until we cultivate the land which itself is quite destructive um so there is something fitting to me about hecate evading definition evading that like she's both and and also neither nor <laughs> all at the same time. And I think just from what I've been reading in terms of glimpses of the, in the magical traditions that evoke her, there is a destructive nature to that energy too. And a, um, a fearsome, like dreadful nature to it. And I think it, so too in, in the wild, so too in nature, I think nature can be very, like destruction is violent destruction is as a part of nature as sort of the, the beauty and the, the, the gentle elements of it. And I think there's something really appropriate about how she, she embodies that um, not just that duality, but that like all of it there, I think there's something really about embracing all of it. Um, and maybe this is a moment we could come back to the grief work. Like I'm curious, Holly, 
to what extent grief work actually just involves that that really radical acceptance that these awful awful like grueling <laughs> experiences are a part of our lives and then a part of you know what actually shape our own paths if, if that makes sense yeah i mean for one i think a part of what y'all are talking about in general is like liminality right that inability to define something which is a really uncomfortable space for a lot of us um, and in that Hecate can traverse those shadow lands so well and really accompany us there. Um, it's pretty phenomenal, right? Uh, and then the other thing that you're talking about, and I think this connects to what you just asked me, Eliza, is um, I think I, I tell people in grief work, so much of the work is um, building containers so that we can release. So we're always containing and releasing, right? Which is sort of that, um, when you were talking about that wild nature, um, I always say like grief is very feral. Uh, it will take you wherever it wants to go, uh, which is that acceptance piece. Like how do we actually befriend this grief process? Um, which I also believe lasts a lot longer than what we say it does in our society. Uh, and like I tell people that if you've just lost somebody that you're close to, which of course there's all different kinds of grief, but I always say like the first year you're basically in the underworld. You're not here with us. You're just trying to survive. The second year you're in the shadowlands. You're kind of coming out. It's foggy. It's dark. You're hoping people can help place you where you're at. And it's not really until after the second year that I think people are even kind of like coming out of that and able to um, locate themselves within that grief. So I just, it's, um, I, I'm a huge advocate for grievers having the time and space that they need. And of course, in late capitalism, that's incredibly hard. And I know that that's not possible for everybody, but in the ways that we can, I think it's really important. So uh, there's a couple other pieces, like as you both were talking, I was like, oh, this, this, this. Um, often Hecate is uh, associated with the moon. And one of the reasons is because the moon is so transitional, right? So we can see like Hecate um, moving with the moon phases a bit. And I'm saying this because one of the things I do in my own grief practice, and I try to help other people do, is I use the moon phases as a container for grief. So within each phase, so like the new moon phase, I'll often tell people like, ah, this is a good time to build an altar or clear your altar space, clean it, whatever you need to do. And then as the moon is waxing, building on that, really putting, maybe putting pieces on your altar, sitting with like what is coming up in my grief. And then at the full moon, uh, in a lot of traditions, this is a great time to talk to your ancestors, to talk to even the recent dead, I, recent dead being ancestors. Um, and really like, what is like, what is your grief wanting to say? This is the full moon's a great time to express that or do something around that. And then as the moon wanes, we can start to release that. Uh, and then, uh, as we get towards the dark moon, it could even be doing a ritual where we compost that grief. So it could be like digging a hole in the earth and speaking your griefs and offering some offerings in that hole and then covering it up. 
So I'm just saying like using the moon as a container or building these containers, which is a part of Hecate. I've also heard Hecate being associated as the feminine aspect of Saturn, right? Which makes a lot of sense to me. I think Eliza, you sent me an article about this and I was like reading it. Um, it just makes a lot of sense as far as Saturn being that sort of at the edges and boundaries and, and about containers and all of that. Um, but so always just trying to help people both contain, well, trying to hold containers so that people can release their grief. Uh, so I'll stop there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it feels like being witnessed in that grief as well. And it's not something, you know, to fix. It, it's it, it's not something that we're broken in at all. It's actually something that we're exquisitely, exquisitely capable of going through. We will all face some sort of initiation into the underworld at, at one point and several points throughout our life, whether the loss through people. And I know you have a relationship with Francis Weller as well. And his book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow comes to mind, but also watching Mother Earth as well. And parts of ourselves that don't get to come alive and be expressed in this lifetime and um, making this a less taboo space you know, really giving permission. And I love how you use that moon phase to work with it. And it's so amazing right now. We're recording actually, as we're going through the dark moon phase, I feel like that's really synchronistic that that's happening today, moving into Scorpio. I love how you just said that it's not something that we have to fix, Kess, because since I've been working with Hecate for the last week and a half, it's not, it hasn't been that much time. So, Um, but I have just found her energy and presence to have this incredible stillness. Um, It's like a quieting that I've never experienced before. And I have felt that there's just a lot of opportunity to do whatever you want. And she's coming to me going, well, which way do you want to go? It's completely up to you. And it does have that essence of nothing needs to be fixed unless you want to fix it. And it's up to you how you want to work with my energy. And I liked how you articulated around how you feel it as a grounding and a rooting within you know, your root chakra, basically, Holly, because that's kind of what that energy feels like. So I'm just curious about how, how that energy might show up for you, Eliza, working with Hecate. And it's, it's a different energy. I mean, this is not Venus energy, (laughs) but I do feel like it is the archetype of grief work and it is the archetype of the therapist. And I, I have been working with her just in the last week and a half and how can I better myself? How can I be a better um, astrologer? How can I share space with my clients in a better way and really be able to, to, um, to be that conduit of the crossroads and, and help people wherever they're at to either side of wherever, wherever they need to be. Um, I love 
that you said that. And I think one of the things that Hecate does for me is she asks me to linger a little bit longer Mm -hmm. in those difficult places, right? So it's like with a person I'm working with, uh, it might be that I have an idea or something else coming, but it's also like, I know Hecate can hang here. Right. And we be here just (laughs) a little bit longer. Right. Like, which is what you're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that relationship with the difficult places? Um, Because when we're talking about initiation, uh, which I think most loss is a form of initiation, we're talking about an encounter with death. We're talking about something that wrecks us, actually. Um, And so it's like, and we can be here in this wreckage together. Right. So there's um, for me, having Hecate as a companion makes it a little less lonely, uh, which is really important for me in my work. And I think for grievers is to be with other people who can also be in this. So I love what you said, Jasmine. Mm-hmm. And I love what you're all saying about this. Um and, and slowing down, right? It is in the mm-hmm. slowing down that we can feel that somatic experience or pinpoint it in the body and discharge that or do that release. Like you were saying, Holly, the containment and the release. And it just dawned on me too. She's this excellent guide for eyes inward, the, the, the inward work that um, we so try to avoid and she's also the companion right with the loss but but endings and maybe even the new beginning you know what else is possible oh for sure I think um Hecate is also associated with birth um and new beginnings absolutely right because that's a part of that threshold right um and I also want to say for some people identify as grievers, they've lost something or they're just really aware. But I will say that as a planet, we are in a planetary transition, right? We are, some people would call it an initiation, which is fine. I'm, but I always remind people, as I just said, I'm like, that's an actual encounter with death. So we might not make it. That's what that means in traditional, like, uh, initiations, some people actually don't make it. It's a very serious time and we need community around us to come through it. Um, so I'm saying that to say, like, uh, I think that everyone could befriend Hecate, uh, at this time in history. It's like, yeah, this is part of the energy that we're all going to have to become familiar with. And Kestrel, when you were talking about your relationship with your dog, uh, I actually couldn't tell if you were talking about Hecate or your dog a little bit, like you were like, I'm as much her protector as she is mine. And I was like, yeah, I feel that with Hecate too. (laughs) Um, And then I was like, oh, she's talking about her dog. Um, But I think it's both. Right. And I just want to offer like when we're befriending a goddess or an energy, uh, I think it's really important to have a reciprocal relationship and give as much as we're receiving, which I love. Uh, That's what you all are talking about. Right. Uh, And so in that, what I mean is like, yeah, Hecate is a protector and most protectors and helpers I know also need protection and help. And we forget that. And so the different ways that we can interact and really give back to Hecate, because also like I said, she's a pretty fierce person. And if she like, doesn't, if she doesn't want to fuck with you, like she's 
going to let you know. So I think it's like in our best interest to say, how can we really court Hecate in the same way we might court a partner or a friend that we really want to be friends with? Um, so put that in there. Yeah, tiptoe into the relationship. <laughs> that was one of the first things I said, you know, I'm going to tiptoe into this relationship with you. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's working out, but it is, it's like you, once you feel her presence, you automatically have responsibility to express such deep respect for this energy. Because if you're reckless at all with this energy, it's not going to turn out good for you. <laughs> but I know I feel like there's something that wants to be said too about her three body part as well I mean I know we've gone a little bit into the myth of how Hakate accompanied Persephone but there seems to be such a profound relationship inside all of us that we are Demeter we are Persephone we are Hikate, and it comes back to that integration. Like, how do they all dance together within our psyche? And, um, you know, maybe help a little bit with that spiritual integration as we go through. There's a word for it, Holly. I know you've used it this this dark time or this collapsed time. I'm just having a hard time grasping the world. It's not totally formulated what I'm trying to say, but there just seems something really profound about those three archetypes dancing together, that they're not separate. Yeah. Um, one of the terms that Francis Weller uses is the long dark, right? But other people use terms like the great unraveling. Um, I tend to just use the term collapse. Uh, but when I think of the three parts of Hecate, I think there's so many different ways we could articulate this, but one of the things I think about is the past. And so I think of that as ancestors, the present, me here now, and then the future, like the future ones who are going to come. And how do we keep all of that in mind and really integrate? So even when I'm talking about integrating this, I'm talking about like ancestral trauma, ancestral grief, right? How do we um, heal some of that or work with that, integrate it uh, so that we can then give the future ones some type of a chance, uh, you know? Uh, I also think of this when I think about like, when, when I'm talking about like descendants, I think about visionary fiction and the work of a lot of black feminists who are, um, and, and others, but who are imagining these futures where we could actually survive. And I think it's all of our jobs to hold like these mythologies, and the present and this like visionary um, picture of the future at this time uh, in the collapse world, there's a lot of like hope is like a four letter word. You're not supposed to hope. You're not, you're not supposed to be hopeful or hopeless. You're supposed to be hope free. Uh, and, and I don't know that I believe that. Like I went through a phase where I was like, yeah, but what I've come to is actually, I think hope can be important. If someone doesn't need hope to proceed, which my friend Carmen Spaniola, that, if you, that I think you all know, like says, that's great. But for me, what I think is actually important is what we put our hope into. And so my sister, before she died, was sick for over a decade. And um, I stopped hoping for her to get better at some point. It just wasn't going to happen. And it was uh, quite 
painful or even harmful for me to talk about that or hope that for her other people. But I started to hope that we could spend as much quality time together as possible. And I started to hope that she would have a good death and that I could help her in that. And that hope really helped me um, and hopefully helped her too, right? So what I'm trying to say is, um, I think we can take those three parts. We can think of it as past, present, future. We can also think of it as um, other parts of ourselves that we're trying to integrate. Um, and I know that people do, right? And that's part of what I'm saying of this like non-binary nature of Hecate is like, she's, she's very much like, yeah, and this, and this, and this. Um, but not in a flippant way, right? In this pretty deep, like, oh, now we're going to integrate this, right? And as most of us know, that's really difficult work. And we need as many companions to do that as possible. How do you feel like Hecate has changed or informed your perception of the death process, Holly? I don't know. I'm not as familiar. So I've, I do some death work just by nature of doing grief work and being a human. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm a death worker as much. Um, I will say what it's, what she's done for me is just help me be with it so much more, not be as afraid of it. Like one of Hecate's role is like a necromancer, right? Mm -hmm. So she speaks to the dead and I think in the in these times we think of that as kind of like weird and kooky and or something but you know a few centuries ago people did it a lot like they would always be trying to either get the favor or turn away the dead that they found you know if, if they thought oh this this person that's died isn't safe they would try to like banish them with help, or they would be like, how do I get in favor of this ancestor or whatever? That was really commonplace. And now we kind of think of it as like this weird thing. Um, and I'm saying this to say part of, so the actual death process, I'll just say, I, I think we all could work on and I can work on um, just being with it and really um, sitting with people who are dying uh, sitting with our own deaths and how that might be. I also will say I'm a huge advocate of after death care. So I don't think that our care for someone ends once they die. And for me, continuing a relationship, let's say with my sister Ivy or my brother Brett, um, is a part of my after death care. And this can also include like taking care of physical things in the world. Like after my sister died, I had to, I actually, I got the privilege to, go through her things and like sort through all her different belongings. That's a part of after death care. I did that with as much sacredness as I possibly could. Um, but there's also all these other things, right? Like staying in relationship with somebody after they die. And I think Hecate is like excellent at that. If you want help with that, you know, be like, hey, Hecate, what would you do? Or if you feel like you don't have access to that, she could be a conduit. To do that with. So I don't know that I answered your question. And I'm actually curious if anybody else has an experience of like the death process in Hecate. Yeah. I mean, you're making me think I spoke about this in an interview I did for the climbing grief fund, but, um, this after death care and it, from, it shows up in the narrative and the stories we tell, like I, 
it's so important in keeping a relationship with those who have gone to other realms to speak of them, to, to when I'm out in nature in places that I've spent time with them in the living world, I will hold so much banter and conversation and laughter. Like, do you remember when we did this? I remember the real significant death I first had was my grandfather. And I spoke to him for years and then more and more people started to join in. Um, But yeah, that life, that thread continues. And I asked them for guidance and well, I think it is that necromancy you're talking about and normalizing it. Um, and, and asking them to come by my side in a time of need. And then there's also the bardo too, right. That very liminal space between, you know, when, I I don't know, I forget which tradition that comes from, but between this world and the next or in this transitional space, it's like 40 days or more and assisting and letting go, um, even though we'll still be in some sort of relationship, but also through that bardo as still remaining in this world, how do we ground? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of our nurse nervous systems and also fill our cup and continue to be in community and not alone with that? Although I do feel like solitude's a big part of this as well, at least for me, like I'm not as scared of the aloneness, the time alone and solitude. Um, first, I just want to say, Kestra, like, thanks for doing that work, right? Thanks for keeping those relationships and speaking to your beloved dead, your beloved ancestors. Um, I believe the dead love to hear their names. And I believe it because we love to hear our names. So they would too, right? But they don't hear it as often because they're not here anymore. Uh, So I think it's so important. And then when you were talking about like this balancing of community and solitude, I think grief work is so much about like community and solitude or holding grief and gratitude or grief and pleasure, whatever we want to call that. Right. Um, So uh, the way my mentor Francis Weller talks about it is like holding these seemingly different pieces so that we can be stretched wide and immense, Mm -hmm. right. Which we need a lot of people who can be big and immense appropriately at these times. So yeah, Mm -hmm. thanks for all of that. Yeah, well, and thank you for the acknowledgement. And that brings the the paradox up again as well. And then it just, I could, I don't remember who was referring to her as the far reaching one as well. It just feels very far reaching, like it just encompasses everything. I just want to take a moment. I know maybe we're mm-hmm. like wrapping up, but I, I also want to say like, for people that aren't as practiced in befriending or relating to uh, like more than beings, I would love to give some examples of how I do this and hear any that anybody else does. So I've shared a little, but like, I always think about, um, let's say Hecate, or of course my sister, Ivy, um, as people. So if Hecate was a person, Like, how would she want to be approached if I really wanted to be friends with her, right? And so I know, for instance, that Hecate is associated with the moon. So sometimes when I give offerings, for instance, I'll like slice up an apple into like these moon slices. 
And I also know that Hecate really um, gives to people that are in tender or vulnerable places. And so I'll go and I'll give those to the animals that live in the cemetery. I know she loves to hang out in cemeteries, right? So that's a good place to go. Um, or, you know, we know that there are things that Hecate is into. Uh, let's say it's dogs. So I treat dogs really well. In general, I would do that, but I'm like, oh, I know that Hecate likes dogs or like I'll invite her into that conversation, right? Because I know that that's something she would want to jam on. And it's the same with my beloved dead. Like I think about my sister really liked gem beam whiskey. I don't really drink it, but every month, at least once a month, I put a shot of whiskey on my grief and death altar for her. And that's like one of the offerings. My sister also really liked um, bugs, like insects, right? Roly polies. So like, A, I will help roly polies if I see roly polies, but also if I find a dead one, like I'll put it on the altar for her, right? So I just always think about like, what are the things, like if someone was trying to befriend me, they could be like, let's talk about donkeys or let's go hang out with donkeys or let's talk about Hecate and grief. And I'd be like, yeah. Right. So I think about those things for the more than beings, including Hecate of like how we could actually foster a relationship. And I'm curious if any of the three of you have ways that you do that with Hecate or anyone else. Well, <laughs> yesterday actually did a ritual to Hecate and I used the three collars of my three dogs that have passed. And I said a prayer to her in an Orphic hymn. And I also just honored my relationships with my dogs. Um, and as I have mentioned, they have, they have informed my life in so many ways. So, but in doing that, I did feel a deeper connection by actually using those three collars. And I did feel the energy in the collars of the three dogs. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's only been a week and a half of me really working with Hecate. So it's, you know, it's, it's a new, new energy for me, but it does feel intuitive to do those things, those types of things with working with her. I love that. Thank you for doing that. And I want to say, yeah, threes, like whenever I'm mm -hmm. giving to Hecate, I usually will be like, here's three, here's three keys. I always have three keys on my altars typically. Right. Or like, here's three slices or, um, you know, multiples of three. So thanks for that. And anyone else? Yeah. I love hearing this. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like in particular with, I'm going to go ahead and invoke his name, Johnny, my first love that I lost in 09. I, he was the type of person that felt everybody belonged and everybody was welcomed. And so I try to emanate that. I try to remember not only that I'm worthy, but also let others know they're worthy. He loved to dance. He loved to write rock climb. He loved to tell stories. Um, so you know, I try to keep relationships with those things as well um, as part of my ritual. And, you know, similar to jazz, I'm just starting to work with her, but I, <laughs> I've noticed how, ex like how eager she is almost like all of a sudden I'm seeing black foxes. I was leaving a message for jazz and, and Eliza. And I looked over towards my dog and she was winking at me. <laughs> I mean, it just seems so subtle, but I really think that 
they're eager to engage, this energy is eager to engage with us and we can be creative with it um, as well. But I also like, I see her as connected to herbs and things of the forest. So I did gather for this kind of saw when this time between, you know, the fall equinox and the winter solstice, this midpoint and created a bowl of water and put herbs in it and did what <laughs> Jack Grail talks about in this podcast. I was referring to lighting a candle and just seeing and speaking with through the candle as well and just being present. And then immediately I could hear the dogs speaking in the neighborhood. And all of a sudden the dogs in my neighborhood have become this other dimension of like, oh, she's approaching <laughs> and it's protective, but it's also like, oh, I'm inviting her in as well. Um, and making an offering. It's an exchange. Like you were saying, it's that very reciprocal relationship. Um, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for doing that. Uh, and thanks for sharing about Johnny. That's just really touching. Uh, and yeah, like I think that when you were talking about this energy being eager, I, so I had this experience like five years ago where I started to really hear and see nature speaking to me, like in really like physical, visible ways. And so I was like, oh, am I like uh, not well or like what's happening? And so I went to my mentor and I was sort of like, I'm hearing these things. And, and for one, he was like, yeah, that's real. That's happening. Like, and, and so then of course I'm like, oh, am I special? Like what's happening here? Like I must be so special. And he was like, no, when we listen, actually, this is always happening. But when we listen and when we approach with reverence, these things will approach us back. And they're more willing, just like with humans, when we're more willing to listen and track somebody, they are more willing to communicate with us because we are receptive, right? So it's a really similar thing uh, where I believe as soon as we start to really interact, track, listen, to Hecate or any of these beings, they are totally, most of the time, they're pretty willing to be like, yeah, you, hey, let's do this, right? So I love that. Eliza, I'm curious if you, how you approach these beings. Yeah, well, and Holly, I'm grateful for you to even bringing this up and sharing your own practices. I think it can be helpful to just to spur our imaginations and for everyone listening, there's no right way to do this. I, I advocate for people doing what feels feel what feels natural and what comes to them intuitively. Um, I have a few things to say. So for one, I do like with Kester, what you were saying about this association with herbs, but also this association with um, Hecate being on the fringes and actually dwelling on the fringes and dwelling in these luminal spaces. Um, I did this one workshop. The, the story be, beyond this, which Jasmine and Kestrel know, is too long to share. But I, through my own, um, I think, mindful trying to engage with ancestors, I ended up meeting, like, bewilderingly, someone in this city in Montreal who is my, like, distant. Basically, we share our, it's my sixth great-grandfather, and it's her eighth or something like that, or vice versa. Anyway, this person is an astrologer. Um, 
she's she's uh, probably 75 now. She's an astrologer and she also does plant work. And I did this workshop with her after this discovery and the whole workshop was around getting acquainted with Artemisia vulgaris, AKA mugwort, which is a plant of the moon. And so we did this workshop, this links to what you were saying also, Holly, and um, it involves spending all day just ingesting and also smoking and <laughs> sitting with, with Artemisia. It involved, um, we did a meditation, we, we went outside and found the plant and drew it. Um, we had a tincture, we had the tea, really all of these ways of engaging with this plant energy. After that day, really a mindful day of like working with the spirit of Artemisia, it leaps at me. It's like, I'm going for a bike ride and I'm like, oh, hello, <laughs> there you are. Um, but what I noticed, and this is something that Liddy, her name's Liddy Flewelling. What Liddy had said too, is that Artemisia lives on the fringes. Artemisia likes to live along the edges of things. And this could be different in different localities, but here in Montreal, it's absolutely true. If you are, it's along the edges of a gate or it's along the edges of a fence or of a wall. It's really on the fringes. And I did have this experience of, yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I started listening more carefully, or as soon as I mindfully attuned my attention, we were in dialogue. And to this day, I'm watching, I'm tracking that, you know, when it springs up so forcefully in the spring, and then it seeds and it kind of wilts away. But it's, to me, it does feel very Hecatean, actually, because of this association with the moon. But as far as my own practices, <laughs> it's a different question. Um, I mean, I would say, so I, I do have practices with um, more than beings who are, let's say, deities. I, wor I work with Bridget, the um, Celtic goddess Bridget, mostly. Um, but I've also just, I do have this relationship still with my dad, who passed in 2013. And um, probably the, he's on my desk. Here he is. This is my dad, John Robertson. <laughs> so I'm always in, I'm really always in conversation with him on some level, even just through eye contact as I'm working <laughs> or as I'm going about my practices. Um, but where I marked it more mindfully was on his 70th birthday a few years ago. And so my dad loved a good smoked meat sandwich. I was a vegetarian at this time, still am. <laughs> uh, but my dad really liked smoked meat sandwiches. The first time I went to New York, he gave me this like American $20 bill to go buy a pastrami sandwich because he just was equating New York with buying pastrami sandwiches. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> on his 70th birthday, I decided I would go and eat a smoked meat sandwich from Swartz's in his honor and was planning to do that every birthday. Although I have to say that habit hasn't, I think I did it one extra year, <laughs> but there was a lot around that time. And again, I won't get into the whole story, but he spoke back to me in a, in a really literal way where as essentially as I was around this time, as I was planning this ritual, really this ritual eating of the smoked meat sandwich, um, through various, very strange means that again, I won't get into the song entered my headphones and it began with a voiceover that literally said, this is your dad speaking. Do you trust me? Um, I love you. Do you trust me? And it was very, you know, that I, I can't echo what you said more, um, 
Holly, where when you start these conversations, they find ways to talk back and it can be through dream. It can be through weird songs coming onto your Spotify. It can be through animals. It can be through different signs. There's so many ways to talk to people who aren't on this plane any longer and there's no wrong way to do so either. So yeah, thank you for, for asking those questions and for starting us off. Thanks Eliza for sharing that. So touching. Um, Yeah. And thanks for doing those rituals and um, being with your beloved ancestors. It, it means a lot to me. So yeah. Same. Yeah. I'm just really grateful to hear all of our stories. We're speaking to them now. And it speaks through the mundane too, right? Mm -hmm. Like in a way that we can receive it. I just had this flash in my mind, Eliza, of you smoking mugwort because you called me, (laughs) you called me right after you got home and you were like, I think I'm high, (laughs) but I don't know because it's, you know, mugwort is not pot. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go out and get some mugwort and try this. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. it's it's a fun herb that's for sure so beautiful too it's all over Mm. well it does I tend to notice it along paths here Mm. Mm -hmm. which is such a metaphor right yeah Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful yeah exactly right and it's such a beautiful shimmery kind of whitish green Mm. and there's a couple different strains that grow here Mm -hmm. smells delightful too well, is, are there any last words or thoughts that people want to share before we wind down? I feel great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Holly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's an honor, honestly. It's an honor. Oh, well, likewise, like I said in the beginning, it feels so sweet to be invited into um, this three-way relationship you all have mm-hmm. this third body that's created between the, the three of you right um which is uh yeah just so tender and I appreciate like where we ended which also feels like this um really grateful and griefful space which mm. you know feels really fitted so thank you all for jamming on this. Like I could talk about grief and heck a day all day <laughs> so thank you where can people find you, Holly? So my website is my name, hollytrular.com. And same with my Instagram handle. I would say those are the two best places. Uh, also, you can find me wandering around in cemeteries, <laughs> hanging out with donkeys, <laughs> either of those things. Just think of me then and I would love that. So yeah, those are the two best places. And are you offering any, I know that you're doing work with Carmen and I'm just wondering if you have any um, events or offerings that you'd like to, to mention, or if those are under wraps for now, then we can leave them under the wrap. Uh, no, for sure. So I co-facilitate a space uh, called the Living a Soulful Life Community with Francis Weller. Mm-hmm. And we uh, take a few applications each month, and then we'll take a larger cohort in June. So that's one thing. And then, yeah, I co-facilitate with Carmen on a few different projects. Um, So we have, we 
co-facilitate host a community called the Threshold Community, which is collapse aware community. And also I'm working on doing a conference. A few years ago, I did a conference mm-hmm. called Tending the Threshold, which actually that name came to me through Hecate. I literally stood at some crossroads and I was like, Hecate, what should I call this conference? And the conference was about um, anti-oppression work, collapse, conflict, grief. And that name came to me. Like I was like tending the crossroads, tending the, you know, and then it was like, oh, tending the threshold. So it's very much, yeah, it's very much um, a call out to Hecate, like the whole name is. So anyways, I'm going to try to do a 2022 tending the threshold. Uh, And then I'm facilitating a, um, it's called raw grief collapse care. So it's a six week grief course for grievers and people who tend to grieve. So usually it's like a lot of the people that attend are like facilitators who are also grievers. Uh, And so all of that you could probably find on my website. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for asking. And you can find Eliza Kestrel and I at cosmictonic.com. Our Instagram handle is at cosmictonic and our Twitter is cosmic underscore tonic and we'd like to thank everyone for being here and we'll see you next time bye Bye.